Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Jack Parrox. Today we're asking the question about whether Europe's workforce is future-proofed. We're going to be discussing how we improve skills and what needs to be done across the block to make sure that happens. This year, 2023, was designated as the EU Year of Skills by the European Commission, following pressures from members of the European Parliament to address skills mismatches and labour shortages, mainly in the green and the digital sectors in the European Union. Those are the crucial transition sectors at the moment. But what are the skills that we need? in the EU's labour market and who should get those skills and indeed where. Workforces in the EU remain predominantly national and the industrial needs in every country are different. So how should the EU institutions go about this plan and can we hope to get out, what can we hope to get out of this European year of skills? Here in the European Parliament studio with me are three people who are going to be able to help me get some answers to some of those questions. Firstly, we have MEP uh, EPP MEP Dennis Radka, who is the spokesperson for Employment and Social Affairs for the group. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hello, thank you for the invitation. Really, really glad and interested to hear what you're going to say. We have Lydia Pereira, who's an EPP group MEP and also a president of the, the youth wing of the EPP, the YEP. Thanks for, thanks for being here as well. It's really awesome that you're here. And we have Andrea, who's a senior researcher in the Martin Centre for EU Studies, who's something of an expert in this area as well. Well, it's good to be here. I'll see what I can bring. <laughs> <laughs> we, we'll find out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's, let's start with you, Dennis. This is this big idea of the, the year of skills here in Brussels. We hear about these kind of projects and, uh, and these ideas from the Commission about these years. But what, in concrete terms, can a year like this, a plan and a project like this, do to improve skills? And what skills do we need in the European Union? Yeah, thank you. So maybe let me start with uh, with one general remark. I'm I'm very thankful to uh, to President Ursula von der Leyen uh, that she came up with the idea to have this European Years of Skills because uh, when we look at the the current situation all over Europe. Uh, we are really, the, the question of labor shortages, every member state is, is touched by this. And we are uh, touched by this on the one hand when we are talking about skilled stuff uh, and even uh, the, the, the workforce with, without uh, special knowledges, without uh, special uh, skills. In my country, in Germany, uh, we are completely running out of, of staff. So this is really a big issue. And uh, the, the, the European Commission has uh, ambitious goals, uh, ambitious <coughs> targets for, for 2030. So we are talking about 60% of adults in training and uh, uh, every year, and at least uh, 78% percent in employment these are the the targets for uh, for uh, for uh, for uh, 2030 from the European Commission uh, in the uh, was announced in the Porto social uh, social summit two years ago and I think this uh, European years of skills uh, can be really be uh, a, a platform to to make these things uh, going and uh, of course as always we have this discussion is this really a European issue isn't this uh, just a, a, a member states competence and member states issues yes of course and no one wants to wants to grab member states competences in this but but I think the EU can can really uh, help uh, ensure uh, that 
every member state and uh, every worker that is affected uh, uh, can can get access to uh, to this training uh, what 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 is needed and maybe let me let me give one example or one one thought what i what i really think we can we can use this um, uh, uh, european years of skills for um, a few months ago i was in in contact with a, a distance university in german in the city of hagen it's it's quite famous i think it's euro's biggest uh, distance uh, university and of course uh, due to this let me call it business model or learning model they have uh, a special special knowledge and uh, I discussed with them and I want to discuss it with all the distance universities in this European years of skills how can we use these special knowledges for instance for training on the job when we are talking about refugees from from Ukraine coming to the EU they are starting to work so maybe how can we ensure that the, the distance universities can deliver their special knowledge on distance learning that they have some training on the job maybe training in the language yeah. so we, we have the, the one side uh, already working and on the other side maybe maybe learning so I think we have to to come up with uh, with, with with new ideas and as a coordinator in in, in Ample, uh, committee uh, I like to say of course a question of uh, with view on on refugees on people coming from abroad coming from third countries uh, the the question of work uh, is a key question for integration. So where I'm coming from, my constituency, the rural area, uh, 150 years ago, it was an amount of small villages. Yeah. And with the beginning of the industrialization, with coal mining, with steel plants, we needed people from everywhere. So we are a melting pot. And the, the, the work uh, in the steel plants, in the coal mines, that was key for the, for the integration. So uh, yeah. I think that there's really a, a very important connection. It's really key. And what you, what you mentioned there, actually, to touch on that, we, you mentioned this idea of member states versus the European Union. Mm -hmm. And one of the stats that, that sort of stands out to me, for instance, there's, the member states want initiatives for the green transition, for the mm. digital transition. One of them, for instance, is the Battery Alliance, mm. to try and make sure that Europe is competitive on batteries. And the Commission's own uh, numbers estimate that there's, there needs 800,000 workers to be trained, upskilled or mm. reskilled. By 2025, that's two years away. Yeah. 800,000. That's tomorrow. Nearly, Let's be it's honest. Tomorrow. It's tomorrow. It's, it's a nearly a million people. Do you think, Lydia, that there is enough urgency and enough understanding of how we're going to do this? I think there is enough urgency. I don't think, or I'm not so sure about the um, understanding of that. Because I have, um, it's not a negative uh, perspective over the next years, it's quite the opposite. But I do think that the speed that we are witnessing in innovation, in artificial intelligence, in digitalization is far too fast, or it's much, much, much more faster than what we are used to see in the past history. If we look at the Industrial Revolution, uh, if we look at the time or the period with which 
Twitter was online, 29 days. If we look at, if, so if we look back, Industrial Revolution, Twitter online in 29 days, what comes next? Mm. And I think we are witnessing exactly this very fast moving uh, society, um, uh, um, innovation, to which we are probably not 100% ready uh, to respond. So um, I, I think there's in nu numerous opportunities, obviously. It requires um, a lot of commitment from the governments to actually acknowledge this and then put in place the necessary actions. And obviously the European Commission sees from a global competitive position that this is crucial to um, affirm the geopolitical position of the, of the European Union in the future on these matters. But uh, I do believe that we are still a little bit lagging behind or not a little bit, we are lagging behind compared to other powers in the world. And I'm referring specifically to China and the United States, but also to India. And so we have to be very careful to that because otherwise we will be keep being lag lagging behind and that's not what we want. But I think people need to understand that this volatile and somehow uncertain um, scenario as I said, it is, there is a window of opportunity. We just need to uh, be you know, um, uh, uh, consequent with that in delivering in policies to achieve this competitiveness status that the EU should, uh, should uh, prevail or should fight for. Um, but to which, if we look at the map of Europe, we see huge discrepancies on skills, competences across between countries. Uh, if we compare Portugal to Sweden, or if we compare uh, France to Finland, or well, it, it is immense. So, it, and I, the urgency of the European Commission to deliver on this is exactly to try to have some baseline. Um, but obviously, the, disc the discrepancies are so deep that we still have a, a long, uh, a long path. Uh, but obviously, the time, uh, the, the clock is ticking, and we need to to take action. And education will be crucial on this. Or has the bomb already gone off? That's the question. Well, <laughs> like... uh, probably. And we see so many thinkers uh, reflecting on, you know, the other side of this revolution that is ongoing, on the artificial intelligence, the ethical side of that. So I think we really need to to focus much more. Uh, obviously, there's many other challenges. For example, the fighting climate change, the green transition, digital transition. But uh, if we look at the employment mm -hmm. side, we are probably a we are lagging behind. Yeah, and it's got to move. I'm going to I'm going to come to you because essentially what we're talking about here is that this year of skills idea. The EU's like, right, we're going to do this. We're going to make sure people have got skills. But this comes down to individual people in member states. This comes down to somebody who works in a factory in Romania now going to work on a solar plant somewhere and changing their jobs. How quickly can this happen and what does it require? Money, time? Yes, well, it requires both plus a lot more because <laughs> yeah. we're talking about much uh, broader uh, societal and technological shifts here. So when we talk about green and tech, we're only talking about, you know, one specific part of the equation. But I was very glad that Lydia mentioned education because really you have to take a short-term perspective and you have to take a long-term perspective. Mm. And the short-term perspective is you're going to try and do your best to um, kind of plug the holes 
in the in the immediate future. And something like that, um, you know, education and retraining schemes are essential, not just for younger people, you know, who, who might have uh, slipped out of education or training in, in their late teens or early 20s, but also like the people you mentioned who want to retrain and get into, into a new industry. But I think we have to be very careful because I think it's a lot more nuanced sometimes than people think. We can look at the experience of, you know, areas like the south of Belgium, uh, northern France, uh, some of the states in the, in the United States like Virginia, West Virginia, where people said that, you know, tourism uh, and, uh, you know, the Amazon economy was going to replace, you know, well-paid unionised, um, you know, uh, factory jobs. And of course, there's a huge discrepancy in earnings. So it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, actually equate if you're, uh, you know, a married person in your 40s or 50s with, with a couple of kids. So we have to acknowledge that fact. Now, in the longer term, um, it's about like, meeting head-on these societal challenges and that is essentially where I think education is key for, for the next generations and we can go all the way back, it's not often talked about in terms of skills or reskilling but we can go all the way back to childcare, pre-nursery care, mm. it's the one area where the academic research is very very clear that can have hugely positive uh, impacts particularly for uh, kids coming from, say, lower-income families. It can break the cycle of multi-generational kind of unemployment and it can lead, to, it leads to more positive outcomes in everything from poverty, employment, well-being, everything like that. Uh, one other point I would like to make, Jagger, if we have the yeah, time, is good. that, um, and again, this isn't often talked about in reskilling, is that for the younger generations in particular, when we talk about reskilling, there almost needs to be kind of a de-stressing, a de-stress pillar to reskilling. Because as Lydia mentioned... Like, this is going to be good for you and it's not stressful. Yes, and it's also, it's often, the stresses and the anxieties are often, exa often exacerbated by technology, by social media. Mm, yeah. Now, there's a lot of super great things about, mm. about technology, but we have to be aware, kind of, maybe, of the side effects of that in terms of anxiety, depression, self-harm, uh, mm. you know, teenagers spending more time than ever on their own, which seems bizarre to me, yeah, yeah. given my teenagers experience yeah. But, yeah yeah exactly this is the thing a huge shift in yeah. workforce and life everything changes if that yeah. happens may, may i come in on that Please. because yeah. uh, this this is a very important point and we we really have to take this serious so the one thing is of course yes we we need the upskilling uh, especially on the digital skills we are talking about four out of ten people uh, without a, a lack of digital yeah. skills yeah. That is a problem uh, with the development of, of, uh, of the labor market and uh, the changing in, 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 in the setup of, 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 of the work. No doubt about that. But on the other hand, I'm very proud that we as EPP are the driving force here in this parliament when we talk about uh, mental health issues. So yeah. we have our uh, great colleague uh, Maria Walsh, who, uh, who is uh, who, who was uh, pushing very hard for this was for this issue, and uh, there isn't any everything solved. Uh, but we are the driving force as EPP for uh, for this issue, and and this is really this is really critical uh, because. 
I can remember 20 years ago when you had some, some mental, mental illness, the people were laughing. So, mm. uh, oh yeah, okay, uh, you have to be strong and so on. And uh, thank God that the, the times have changed and that we are taking this uh, thing serious. And yeah. for, for instance, when you look in Germany, uh, we, have, uh, we, we are talking about the uh, hardworking people that cannot work anymore. But to be honest, the people that are the biggest amount of people who are not, not, not capable to work anymore is because of mental illness. This is the biggest group in, in, in Germany. So Breakdowns uh, and burnouts. Yeah, and stuff like yeah, so, yeah, the whole package. So this is, this is a big issue though, Dennis. Let's yeah. just, so when we talk though about industries, and you, you're talking about Germany there, mm. when we talk about the transitions, Germany has a huge car industry important for digital and for the green transition. How can we make sure that those countries, that the smaller EU member states, when we talk about the reskilling, that it isn't just Germany, which has a big no. automate, auto industry. It isn't just France, which already has a big energy industry that succeeds, or, you know, the Nordic countries who are pretty solid, that every country gets reskilled. And that it's not just, you know, the lowest, poorest pay, lowest paying factory jobs are going to the poorer countries bulgaria yeah. romania yeah. etc yeah. yeah so that, that, that is why why i stayed in my uh, said in my my first statement uh, in in my eyes it is really necessary that that we are uh, doing this eu initiative to ensure that all member states that is guaranteed that all countries big or small big or small money uh, will and can benefit from 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 it this 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 is crucial so uh, it's not about grabbing member states competence it's it's giving in a question of assistance and ensuring uh, uh, in, in in this particular issue do you think that the the year of skills and the plan is already taking into consideration that Lydia do you think that we're moving in that way because member states just don't have those ideas oftentimes they protect their own workforces that is and they have massive fights with their own workforces when you look at the French and the protests on the street right Yeah, absolutely no I think um, I, I, this is a much deeper reflection but I think it is it is good that we have the chance to talk about it uh, my experience uh, here in the Parliament, but also as President of the Youth of EPP, uh, I have expressed uh, my concern on the impact of the pandemic in the nationalization of certain matters. And I think we became, because we were, you know, working from home and a, a, a bit more detached from one another than ever before, um, I think at the policy level or, pol or, or even the political level, uh, member states, they focused on you know, delivering for their citizens. Uh, the people were looking at the government and asking, like, we need help, like, how do we fight COVID-19 and, and so on. So, and after, after the pandemic, we have the war in Ukraine, right? So there is, um, you know, a number of, 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 of topics that are kind of in priority if we want to look at the bigger picture. And I think actually the European Commission has been very keen on that, uh, in, 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 in pr providing the, gui the, the, the guidance and uh, even in the, the geopolitical talks with the, the United States and so on. So this being said, um, the, the, the priorities or the national priorities so far have been 
putting aside the topic that we are, in my view, the topic that we are discussing today. Um, and obviously, I believe that um, marking the, the year of 2023 as the European Year of Skills can actually raise awareness. It's not sufficient. There's a lot of work to do, obviously, we know that. But it's a good step to raise awareness on uh, the importance of the of this uh, topic in the future of Europe, in the in the lenses of the of the future of Europe, but also in the lenses of the future of the national of the member states, because there is no future of Europe if we don't have the member states on board on on this. So um, I think um, this obviously um, our circumstances or our context is different, for example, from the one of China or or the US, right? Because there is a war at the gates of Europe. Mm. But at the same time, I. I feel optimistic because in the several talks with Ukraine, uh, um, uh, actually, uh, skills digitalization have been uh, some uh, somehow a priority as well uh, in the next steps for the accession of Ukraine to the European Union. So, I think the European Union acknowledges this this uh, as a, an Im the, the the skills as an important topic, um, but for different reasons the member states have been a bit more focused on you know more domestic um, policies but obviously we are here to also um, work together with the commission with the council in providing the guidance that we think it is necessary to and i want to insist on this to keep the european union as competitive as possible in a very competitive world that we are uh, shifting to yeah this is it owen so industry is the one that really makes Policy aside, it's the industry that makes us competitive. So nice uh, EU-wide agreements where there's funding and support, that's all well and good. But it's the industry that needs to step up and compete. And they are crying out for staff, aren't they? They're looking for these people and they just can't find them and they have to pull them in from outside. Yes, well, it's, it's not just a question of shortage of people. It's more it's the shortage of people with the right skills mm. because there are still specific sectors, um, you know, which um, would say are over, oversupplied with workers. You, you only have to look at the EU bubble here in Brussels to see how many job applications roll in for every vacancy. Or there's data, recent data from the UK to say that for job applications with a very specific set of criteria, say for example a second class honours uh, university degree, that the average number of applications is between 40 and 50. But in saying that, nine out of ten jobs where there is the uh, most serious undersupply in Europe at the moment are all in the construction industry. So, you know, and the tenth, the final one in the top ten is nursing. Mm. And they're probably, it's probably a good representative of two of the key areas, construction and the care industry. And not to speak about the yeah. demographic challenges that we exactly. have, especially in Europe, which is, yeah. we, we are have a, a we yeah. often say a, demo, a demographic winter because yeah. mm. we are going to face more yeah. pressure uh, on the, the aging From the aging population. This is it. You can't yeah. retrain a 55-year-old woman to get you know, well, maybe you can, but it's unlikely she's going to get into a construction role. Well, you see, this is the thing. This is why I think we have to, you know, we really need to let go of some of the old certainties and and take kind of a more innovative approach because the data at the moment would suggest that over the age of 50, even if you have a good level of education, if you're in a declining industry, it will be very hard, mm -hmm. as you say, to get to, 
to, not because you can't learn the skills, but because there is this general Stigma generation. Against yes. you. Yeah, You've done your career. Yeah. To be honest, we, we really have to change it. So yeah. it's not just a political thing. And it's not just a thing that is uh, uh, an individual thing. It is also we need a change of mind in the business. Yeah. So uh, it, it was in, in the last few years we are, oh no, he's 59, uh, why should we hire him? Oh well, he is 55, why, why paying for training for him? He's so close to retirement, it, uh, this investment makes no sense. So we, we nearly, uh, need, a, need, a, need a change in, in, in mind. Yeah. How, where does that come from, though? Right? It's it's really yeah. it's really true. Like if you go into, yeah. I've been to to China and seen the factories, and there are people of all ages, and you yeah. see them. They are churning. Their industry is huge. How European workers? Yeah, the, the allegation yeah. is that we don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, it's it, it's about like bringing in new ideas and reflecting yeah. on the fact that the like the. The, uh, the traditional mindset of, you know, a 40 or a 45 year career in the same company and then you get your nice retirement, that that's, that's gone for most people. But now. in Asia, you yeah. have But a, is it gone? But it's you not have gone another from the mindset. value yeah. Yeah. For, for, for age. So in, in Asia, they, they value the, the uh, so it's, it's your experience. So they say, well, why, he's 35 years on the job. He's so experienced. That has a huge value. And in Europe, we often say, well, he's 35 years on the job. That is quite close to retirement. Yeah. And th this is a complete there, different I mentality. I just want to bring an image yeah. to this conversation. I, I don't know if you had a chance to watch this movie, The Intern, uh, and yeah. Robert De Niro is uh, one of the main uh, characters. And it's actually, uh, he's, he's retired, it's a man, a 65-year-old man who's retired, he's bored, he lost his wife, and he wants to keep being useful for, yeah. for the society, and he becomes an intern in a tech company, or no, in an e-commerce uh, company and he's valued there for his experience, for his knowledge, for his. So I tend to agree with Dennis. This is kind of uh, there will be a necessary change of mindset uh, to 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 address this yeah. aging population. Um, you know, we people have better condition, living conditions until later in their lives. So we yeah. will have to accommodate all this. And it's also like we need to move away from this this. Uh, yeah, this mindset, I suppose, most obviously seen in France recently, yeah. that like at the age of 60, whatever, you, you, retire, have, to, you have to retire. Yeah. You know, we, we need to become more, more flexible. Mm. But there's just one key thing that kind of prohibits, um, you know, people over the age of 50 from reskilling properly. And that's financial, it's a financial motive, mm. because often you've yeah, more... Yeah, I've got my mortgage to pay, exactly. I've got the kids going to university. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so we, we need to be more innovative, and I think it's a situation where businesses can help more. What, what is the innovation? How do you do that? You the innovation, well, it? there's some interesting ideas coming from Scandinavia that each individual worker, once they pay mm. into your, to the Social Security Fund for a certain amount of years, mm. um, you know, will have access to a, to a kind of pot of money that's a reskilling fund, mm. yeah. and that everybody would have an individual mm. reskilling fund a bit a bit away like a, a little bit like how the state pensions are becoming with everybody having their own individual accounts mm. something like that I think is very important and then for younger workers I think we have to understand that there's a problem at both, at both sides there's a problem of overqualification and there's a problem of underqualification mm. and a key factor is 
particularly in Southern Europe, some of the stories that my Italian and my Spanish uh, colleagues tell me about uh, the working conditions for young people who have, you know, all the qualifications, master's degrees, PhDs, you name it, but the the starting the salaries, yeah, are yeah. very, very, is very, very important, and that that it will have to low. change. And yes, like exactly. From Portugal, and uh, yeah. we have massive problems uh, in relation to the starting salaries. Uh, once some uh, a, a young professional joins the labor market, it's very low, hmm. and in addition to that, or because of that. Um, uh, young people tend to leave their parents' house later yeah. in the process. We are talking about an average of 34 years oh. old yeah. to leave the parents' um, house. Yeah. And, and this has all sorts of knock-on effects then for... That is a number. ...for their own yeah. family yeah. formation, for fertility rates, for everything like that. It has a knock-on effect. For the housing markets and stuff yeah. as well. It's really exactly. a real issue. Yeah. So this is it, though. We're talking, we've talked a bit about reskilling, but let's talk about young people as well. They're entering a world where everything's going to be automated. That's what they're being told. AI, AI is taking over. It's taking all, taking my job as a journalist for sure, right? That's what we're being told, or they don't believe it at all. <laughs> Half of this, if, if to come to what you said, Dennis, is about mindset change, right? Firstly, if I'm going to work longer and not feel that I need to drop out of the labour market, I'm going to want to love my job, right? I'm going to want to want to do my job. And I'm not going to be scared, as you said, of being you know, out or doing low paid jobs. What is your assessment for, for young people that are entering the labour market at the minute, Lydia? It doesn't feel like it's a good picture for them, saddled with huge student debts oftentimes. Well, um, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that okay. because um, obviously, uh, well, uh, education systems are crucial in this, uh, in this change that we are uh, witnessing. Um, but what comes with a young age is optimism and is, uh, you know, courage and uh, being able to adapt to the different circumstances. So I do believe that, um, uh, well... Uh, and they want digital jobs as they well. They want digital jobs. Yeah. It's quite um, a fancy thing at the moment. Um, so um, I think that the main challenge is actually uh, more on the uh, adaptation from the, from the policies uh, of the governments in you know, achieving these bigger, these objectives, these broader objectives, um, and in enabling the opportunities for younger people, rather than the possible difficulties or challenges that the young people are going to face. Because the truth is, and we know that, there have been so many historical events, wars and, and, you know, conflicts, and where the young people have been at the forefront in, in, uh, in fighting for, for what they believe and what they... And if we look at Ukraine, uh, the, the vast majority of the military forces, they are of a young age. So uh, young people drive change. Uh, I think um, they, we can be optimistic about their capacity to adapt. Um, and I think the main challenge relies on, 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 on the change of the mindset, not only from the business side, but also from the government um, authorities. So, Dennis, I want to turn to you. I, that was a bit of a negative question of me, I agree. <laughs> let's talk, let's... Well, but, 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 but may I, may, may yeah, I add one sentence to this? I think um, we, we needn't be afraid because every generation uh, has their own challenges. Challenge, yeah. Yeah. So, my, my, my grandfathers, they, they left Germany in 1943 because they were young men and they had to be soldiers. And they had no freedom of choice. And when they returned from war and, and from war prison, they came back 
without any real education, they came back into a destroyed country. And they made their way. So every, and this was normal for a young men in, in Germany in, in this time. So every generation has its, its challenge. And, and when I look at my children, they are two and five now, the way how they grew up, how they deal with, uh, uh, with, uh, with, with media, with digital issues. So when we were two or, or five years old, uh, the world looked completely different. Yeah. Uh, no smartphone was was around, and yeah. as they grew up with, with, with they grew up with all that. So I'm I'm not afraid. I, no, I think I think I'm that's optimistic. Right. So that's why I'm APP. That, <laughs> that, that optimism, though, has to come through in the plans that are being put forward, like this skills year. What tangible sort of successes? What are the concrete? things that you can envisage if if what this plan to try and upskill the labor force in the eu goes ahead what can we succeed in what can we see it by 2020 2030 well, well, well I, I made an example what, what what can be done with new ideas with uh, with uh, with uh, distance learning universities and i think what is really important is that we see we have different different levels to touch because we have different levels of of skills so we have good qualified workers who need maybe an add-on in digital skills. Uh, but then we have uh, low-skilled workers. It, it was, in, in, in my country, it was possible with low skills, with formal low skills, to earn a huge amount of money if you work in a unionized uh, big uh, a, a big factory yeah, in, a, in, a, in a big plant. Even uh, with, with low skills, you can, could earn a really good amount of money. Uh, this becomes more and more difficult. So th these are people we have to t uh, take care about for, for upskilling. And then the European Union came up with new ideas like the uh, micro-credential learning. So this is especially a, a need for, for people uh, with near to, to, to zero skills to, to give them opportunities to have some, some add-ons, to have some kind of qualification, because to have a kind of qualification is always better to, to, than to have none qualification. Uh, and then, of course, we, we also have to talk about how to reactivate unemployed people. This is also a very crucial issue. We, we cannot, uh, in a situation where we run out of stuff, where we have a, a, a leakage of, of, of stuff, and we have, on the other hand, millions of, of unemployed people. But there we need other skills. When you see long-time unemployed, it often starts with things like, please don't laugh, but it starts with things like getting up in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting but, up no, in the no, morning at six, matter, yeah. making yourself ready. Yeah. So if you if you have done haven't done this for two or three three years because there was no it was not necessary to do it. Just let go. Yeah. You 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 have to come in on this and train it. It's a question of training. And also, this is the thing, though. There's a lot. There's like this is this comes back to the mentality shift as well, though. Yeah. And what and our, that's the add-on, yeah. What <laughs> our, what our phones are doing, and like I yeah. am working yeah. all the time through the night, sending yeah. text messages. So, uh, you know, do, sorting things out. So the way in which we work often is changing massively as well. I mean, I want to talk to you about this. We've touched on this a little bit. The competitive. We talked about countries like India and China, mm. huge countries where people where the workforce is so much cheaper to pay to do these things do you think in some sense that this idea of upskilling is going to 
actually protect us or are we just going to continue getting the sort of dirty low-paid jobs done outside of the EU as we have done until now? Well no but like you know the history of society shows that the the wealthier society becomes the jobs become more um, you know highly advanced highly yeah. skilled and that you know migration you know obviously usually solves, solves the gap at the low-paid side but I think what I would hope is that the uh, upskilling debate doesn't just get stuck at tech and the green industries. Where else should it go? Well, obviously the care industry. Like yeah, like you we, said with the nurses. We, yeah. There's one million uh, vacancies across Europe at the moment in the care industry, and like, you but know, they're not very well paid anymore. Well, that's what we that's need. The that's the problem. And working conditions. Yes, and working so conditions. So the shift doesn't necessarily need to be skills. If the jobs are good and well paid, intelligent kids will train to be doctors and work it, it, It's about um, kind of, you know, encouraging people, um, giving them the skills where they feel confident enough to work in these areas. Because often what you'll find is that the care, the care industry has become it's quite a gendered, gender. it's become quite a gendered industry mm. in, in the sense of that it's Absolutely. predominantly fe female in a lot of these yeah. uh, critical roles. And that's, that's uh, you know, that's not a good thing for society, it's not a good thing for patients. So we need to challenge all this. Does, does yeah. offering schemes to skill up workers change that or does changing the culture within the businesses not changed. Oh, it's, a, it's an absolute, it's a combination combination of both, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, companies and industries have to invest a lot more in their staff, they have to invest a lot more in training. But I'll give you one, one practical example of what can, can happen. Uh, and Jack, this might be of interest to you. Lucy Kellaway, the, the well-known Financial Times columnist uh, for, 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 I think, 20 or 30 years, uh, retrained as a, as a teacher in her 50s. That's a classic journalist to teach a yes, job. Yes, <laughs> but more than that is that she set up an NGO to help uh, high-achieving people coming from the finance banking sectors to retrain as teachers. Yeah. And she's 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 um, she's managed to successfully, you know, integrate several hundred of these highly qualified, highly experienced people back into mostly underprivileged communities. Mm. So it's when we talk about upskilling, we ha we need to talk about these big societal mm. issues. Yeah, this is it. It can feel a little bit like yeah. in our conversation, we can feel like we're sort of speaking from the outside, but unless it is seen across the whole of it. It doesn't exactly. shape the discussion. Yes, exactly. And, and this is it, Lydia. Just, just, just a quick point to you to, to sort of start wrapping up. It's about engagement. We can talk as much as we want about this in Brussels, even in the member states and the governments. Unless populations engage, it doesn't work. So what, what is the crucial thing in your mind to get that engagement? Well, I could give you the example of, uh, of climate change and the European climate law. I mean, it all came from, it's a grassroots movement and the European Union delivered on that. And uh, our, main, um, our main messages here have been, or the EPP messages here have been that economy and environment are not incompatible, quite the opposite, they go hand in hand. And so if we want to achieve something on in, in the environmental side, in caring for the environment, in caring for future generations, we have to involve all stakeholders of our society. And this includes businesses, this includes private, public sector, this involves NGOs and so on, universities, academia, knowledge, science. So this is all important. And um, the moment that we acknowledge as well that these 
changes that we are going through, uh, that the, 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 the conversation about skills, it's more a societal conversation rather than just a specific uh, technological need uh, or green need, um, then we will be in a position to actually uh, convoke everyone to be part uh, and to be a driver of this change. So I, I think this is a, there's a huge responsibility, I would say, from the politicians' side, uh, from the prime ministers, from the governments in general, because they are the ones in most of times setting the tone in their public opinions. So if we see that engagement or coming or, or a start of that engagement coming from the governments um, in the as a first place, I think the whole society will uh, better understand that if we want to succeed, if we want to keep growing our economies, if we want to keep, uh, you know, delivering for people and increasing salaries and so on, we need this conversation. And uh, this is absolutely crucial for the survival or for the affirmation of the European Union in the rest of the world. Dennis, this is this is it. This is we're coming. We've got a few more months left on this European Year of Skills. What happens after 2023 is over? Well, I think um, when, when 2023 is over um, and we are running for the elections uh, next <laughs> year, no, this is, but this is an important uh, step to, to look back and uh, to, to check are we on track with our 2030 targets uh, for, for skills or, 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 or is, is there still improvement needed or some changes needed? Mm. And uh, I think this will then be also an, uh, an important issue for the, for the upcoming Commission. And uh, I think for me as member of Parliament, so in case I'm, I'm re-elected next year, um, this is important to hear from uh, when, when Ursula von der Leyen is interested in, in being re-elected. Uh, I want to hear from her in her very first speech then in, in Strasbourg when she's asking for the support of the members of the parliament, uh, some, some, some ideas uh, on, on, on uh, in improvement of, of this. This is, uh, in, in my eyes, an absolutely key issue. So, but Jack, if I can, just please. very briefly, I honestly think that we also have to have a conversation about the discrepancies on skills between member states. Yeah. And obviously I'm not yeah. suggesting that uh, the mm -hmm. European Union or the European Commission has to interfere in the educational systems no. because they are of a national competence, but at the same time this is a problem that uh, somehow undermines the, the capacity of the Union to affirm itself in a more global context. Yeah, that's what I was saying about France and Germany and their industries yeah. and, you know, you know, don't just want low-paid jobs yeah. in the poorer member states. It's yeah. just not going to work. But Lydia is right, yeah. <coughs> I think this might not, this year of skills might end up being a decade of skills if we're going to yeah. get it right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it has to be a long-term project, yeah. right? Dennis Radker, thank you so much for being with me here in the Parliament. Lydia Pereira and Andrea as well. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much to everyone that's been listening to the podcast. What do you think about this? Head to the EPP group on social media and join the discussion there. Thanks so much. Thank you.